This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And sitting right beside Charlie is yours truly, uh, Frank Proctor. Nice to have you uh, listening in on this Saturday morning. I am the sous chef of the garden. The or, under, under gardener. Yeah, the yeah. under, 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 under gardener. Whoa! <laughs> I felt that demersion right in my heart. Yikes. Um, well, you're still in training. Well, it's yes, only been eight years. <laughs> That we've been doing this show. We're going to keep doing it till I get it right, huh? Yeah. <laughs> phone numbers. That's my main job. It's True. Give the darn True. phone numbers. Okay? And the bell. Don't forget and, the bell. Oh, yeah. I'll explain that little feature in a moment here. Let me get the numbers on the air, Charlie. 416-360-0740 for Toronto area callers. And then anywhere in the province, it's toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. And you're referring to the little bell. If you're a first-time caller, please let Sebastian know. And when you come on the air... That's what you'll hear. Uh-huh. Right, you get your wings. And our little garden mantra. Wings. Mm-hmm, the garden wings. Mm-hmm. Uh, our mantra, very simple. Call early, call often, one question per call. And that means we can get a whole bunch of folks on the air without we. dragging. Yeah, well, yeah. <clears throat> I, I help facilitate. Yes, you do. The entrance of the voices that we hear from the netherworld. <laughs> but then my brain has to be kicked in and ready to go, right? Oh, And it's right. Saturday morning. It's a gorgeous day. The sky is blue. CNE is oh. starting to hop. Yeah, right. <laughs> this early, and uh, yeah, lots on the go. So, some announcements, which I like to start the show with. Okay. Today, if you can fit this into your day, this is well worth doing. It's a movie screening called "Plant This Movie: The International Urban Farming Documentary." It's screening at the Toronto Botanical Gardens today at 4 p.m. in the Weston Family Library. That's at 777 Lawrence Avenue East. So Plant This Movie explores the zeitgeist of urban farming around the world, from the incredible story of Havana, Cuba, to communities of urban farmers in cities as diverse as Shanghai, Calcutta, Addis Ababa, London, and Lima. In the U.S., the story focuses on New York, New Orleans, Los Angeles, and Portland, Oregon. The film is narrated by Daryl Hannah. So if you're in, it's all about urban agriculture. Mm-hmm. So recognizing that agriculture is the growing of crops, this is growing crops in the urban environment. Right. As yeah. opposed to out on the farm, out in the mm-hmm. rural. So this is, and a lot of it's community-based. It's right. taking over waste spaces and unused derelict Turning buildings. Uh, wonderful gardens. Absolutely. Yeah. And just beautifying and, you know, in, mm-hmm. um, improving the quality of the world. Uh, so, and to mark on your calendars, Saturday, September the 10th, uh, be wowed by the 112 different categories of flowers, vegetables, and designs presented by the members of the Agent Court Garden Club for a friendly competition. Don't miss this opportunity to mingle with the friendly gardening crowd in the tea room. You'd like that. Oh, 
Sure. Little taking the scents tea. and visuals. Well, you never know. They could have scones and Ooh. Devon cream, for all you know. <laughs> the tea room on site for light refreshments and socializing. There will be some home baking as well. It's from 2 until 4.30 in the afternoon, open to the public, of course. The Knox United Christian Education Centre, 2575 Midland Avenue. The entrance is off Rural Avenue. And one more thing for the calendar, Sunday, September 11th, 2 p.m. The Royal, at the Royal Botanical Garden Centre, 680 Plains Road West in Burlington, in rooms 3 and 4. The Hamilton and Burlington Rose Society will be meeting and listening to a speaker, Claudette Sims, who's introducing the world of incredible edible flowers. Everyone, again, is welcome to attend and to hear about this unique topic. There is no entrance fee, no parking fees. So get out and meet some of your fellow friendly gardeners in the Hamilton Burlington. Area. There you go. Okay. Okay. Well, well, I think we're all set. Are we? we are. I do have last week's homework, but maybe we can get to that later. Remember the the caller, Ellen. That's right. Yes. Brand, Ellen called from Branford about that spotted bug that was oval, not round, kind of like a ladybug, but yellow instead of red. So we got a report on that. We yeah. we have yeah. better report <laughs> yeah, on that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. see, see now you showed me. You showed the me the royal bug. Now we. I feel part of it. You right. See? So you can present the the <laughs> answer now that yeah. I told you the answer. <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> okay, stand, stand by for more from the Garden Show here on Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, here we are on a Saturday morning looking toward the east a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's Oshawa and there's Nancy. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Hi there, how you doing? Good. Good morning. Hi there, Charlie. My question is regarding milkweed and the little caterpillar or the big caterpillar. (laughs) Meaning you've got many caterpillars on your milkweed? No. Oh. And for years, everybody thinks that the little black and orange guy evidently is the product for the modern butterfly itself. Mm -hmm. But I was told yesterday that the caterpillar that's for the milkweed is like the tomato hornworm. And I'd like you, please, if you can, to clear this mystery. Happy to help. <laughs> All right. The larva of the monarch butterfly, the only thing it's got in common with the tomato hornworm would be they are caterpillars. So they are larva, but they're, you know, wormy looking things. Uh, the monarch larva does have a bit of a horn on its tail. See there in the oh, yeah. picture? See, yep. there's the two antenna at the front. It's got a little black tail. But the coloration of the larva of the monarch butterfly is stripes, white, yellow, and black. Okay, that sounds like what my son said yesterday. Yeah, and that is what a baby monarch looks like. The tomato hornworm has a really definitive horn on the back, and it is green, predominantly green, the exact same color as the the stems of the tomato, with kind of a pale gray stripes, but no yellow, no black. Oh, I remember them, because you just have to pick them off. That's right. But don't pick off, if you see any of these um, monarch... Larva, don't pick them off. Let them, I, let I them be. I would I grow the milkweed. For them. For them. Yeah. And now, because I've got all kinds of it, it's almost taken, overtaken part of my yard, to tell you the honest truth. Yeah, you do. All I've seen this year is the odd monarch, but I have yet in all these years to see the larva. The worm. Oh, really? Oh. Um, 
what you'll usually see or often what tells you to start looking for the, the larva or the caterpillar is holes. When you see chewing on the leaves, yeah. that gives you a heads up that there's likely a larva on there. When they pupate, because remember, they go from a larva and then they wrap themselves up in a little cocoon case yeah. and they hang under the leaves. Right. So you, you, unless you're down on your hands and knees crawling around, you're very unlikely to see the pupa cases. But if you see some chewing, you know, damage on the leaves, then get down and look a little more closely because you're likely to see a larva if you've got any kind of damage on the, the leaves or the bl- buds or the flowers, anything like that. Okay. Okay. Alrighty. Who, who is the parent of this orange and black fuzzy caterpillar? Oh, the orange and black fuzzy? Oh, those guys. Well, that's a good question. I can't tell you. Yeah, remember that's those? That's okay. I just thought it might. And if you touch it, it rolls up in a ball, right? Have yes. you tried touching it? And I've been protecting them for years thinking they, they were the monarch. No. Anyways. I'll let you go. Okay. All right, we'll keep protecting them until I can f- sort out exactly what it is. Because yeah. you're right, I think it does become something quite lovely. So, yeah, never assume that it's a bad insect off without proven to be so. Because many insects are very beneficial. I will report back, Nancy. Okay, Nancy. Thank you very much for joining us here on a Saturday morning. Uh, broadcasting live from Liberty Village in our studios. Well, Connie in Hamilton, welcome along. Good morning. Yes, good morning. My question is regarding an anthill that mm-hmm. I had in a little area on my grass, mm-hmm. and I used an ant bait and was successful. Mm-hmm. And now I have like a, quite a significant patch where that ant mount was mm-hmm. that's gone all dry and it's taken the grass with it. Yeah. So I need to know from uh, you, Charlie, if you can tell me how to treat that. Do I dig down and yeah. it? Dig out and well, so on and so yeah, on. it's not so much the digging out. If the ants have moved on, then yeah. you're you're good to go. But you're absolutely right. In the tunneling and the creation of that that home, the ants make tunnels and they move the soil out of the way, which mm-hmm. is why it creates a hill. Right? They bring the soil up to the surface. Yeah. What that does is expose the roots of the grass in this case to air because now they've got all these open tunnels underneath there, and the roots end up dying because of the lack of moisture. Then you've got that bare patch and the elevated situation. So all yeah. I would do is go out there with, uh, it could be a sharp shovel or a sharp trowel. You want to break up that hill. And you'll find that it, it will very quickly, once you get in there and start sort of breaking it up with something sharp, it will quickly go back down to the grade or elevation where it's supposed to be. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, you can, d- depending on how big this was, you just by sort of walking on it, you can tamp it back down. And you're going to have to get a little bit of grass seed and uh water and grow grass back into that area. And I would do the, that part, the, the latter part of the preparation, maybe a little bit later in the season? Well, you, you could do it anytime now, no. except okay. that it's been so warm. When it's this warm, it's it's a little tricky to grow grass seed. You can yeah. do it, but you have to stay on top of the watering. What about put, just putting a little piece of sod down? Can sure, would, absolutely. Yeah, Sod's even easier. Be, yep. Yeah, that yep. would be easier for me. It's not a large, large area. Now, I still have yet to apply nematodes. Mm-hmm. So... What should I do first, the anthill and then the nematodes, or should I do the nematodes and then the anthill? Because I could leave that little ant mount until maybe the spring. Yes, but you, uh, if I were you, I would fix it in the fall because okay. the soil is nice and warm right now. So it's very easy to grow grass seed or have turf or sod uh, installed okay. and have it just immediately start to grow. So okay. my impulse would be to fix that. Now, I'd be inclined to fix the lawn first. 
Get a hold of some nematodes. Read the directions. Uh, the One of the big things when you're going to apply nematodes to your lawn for grub control is you need to have a good moisture level in the soil. So we do have some rain in the forecast this evening, but I don't know if it's going to be substantial enough to really moisten the soil. So we're going to have to hold off on our nematodes until we can either get the sprinkler out or we get some good rainfall, and then we can apply the nematodes, again, watering them in as we're applying them. Well, I'm going to wait because the reason being, Charlie, is just because when we had that significant rainfall the other day, mm-hmm. I went out there and I fertilized. Excellent. So I think I have to wait a couple more weeks before I could do nematodes. I probably would, yep, yep, just yep. till that fertilizer okay. has. Well, okay. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, Connie. Both of you are, I've learned so much about your show. <sighs> thank, oh, you. thank you. Thank you You're very welcome. much. Bye. Bye-bye now. Uh, okay, you know, I have we, a question. Yes. What could Connie have learned from you? Uh, uh, <laughs> Sorry, uh, oh, how to be a smooth broadcaster. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> cardinal look at, chirps. Look at Sebastian, he's shaking his head, looking yeah, yeah. at me. Like, he's wondering the like, same yeah. thing, like mm, what? What the heck could she have learned from, from me? You're Frankie. right. Well, I don't know. How to get along with difficult people. Maybe I was that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. You're making little, some suggestion a there? A little shot in the dark here. Okay. Um, 9.21. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to take a little bit of a break here. Mm-hmm. We're going to be actually, in very short order, welcoming a first-time caller. Uh, if somewhere All in the, the way state from New York. of New York. Yeah, yeah, Jim. So hang in there, Jim. We'll be with you very shortly. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, let's find out where in the state of New York Jim is originating from. Hello, Jim. Where are you? Oh, in Holly, New York. And what was it again? Sorry. Howie, it's in between Rochester and Buffalo. Oh, okay. Welcome to the show. Yeah, you're a first-time caller, so just a minute. There you go. Go ahead, Jim. Oh, uh, I have a problem with cucumbers. Mm -hmm. Well, we got three different hills, and the one hill seems to be all yellow now. It's turning. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if winter's right around the corner. (laughs) No. You know what? You probably have something that so many of us get typically in early August, are the leaves all hanging and wilt? They look like they're all wilted, even though there's been lots of good water on the plant? In the center, they, they're yellow, and but the uh, the stringers are all green yet. Oh, yeah. And they've got about a million uh, blossoms on them. Oh, perfect. Wow. That's good. Well, so, yes, there is a disease called cucumber wilt, and the wilt... Uh, is when the plants, oh, they all turn yellow and they, they look, you know, the, the leaves kind of hang there, bedraggled looking, and eventually those leaves just dry up and blow away. So what I do is I'll just clean them up with, with fresh pruning, for clean pruners, remove all that. But the wilt disease comes from insects. So insects carry the disease and it's them chewing and doing things on your cucumber plants that give you the diseases. But for now, I mean, it is the end of August. I would just remove anything that's brown, anything that's yellow. You could, if you haven't fertilized in the last little while, try a little bit of fertilizer. Uh, just, you know, we, there's no frost in the in the forecast yet, so we should still be harvesting cucumbers and tomatoes and all kinds of great vegetables for the next little while. So do what you can to keep the plants alive. At the end of the season, though, I would not keep that plant material on the property. I wouldn't keep it in the composter. I would remove mm-hmm. it from the property uh, so that you're not carrying any diseases into next year. 
okay. Okay. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for the call, and don't be a stranger, okay? <laughs> very well, good. And it's interesting because that, that is what we don't often realize is that so many of these insects overwinter, spend the winter, in the debris uh, just beneath the soil. Right. Yes. So if we are, cl- you know, it's a good idea to clean up vegetable gardens and remove the vegetable plant material. If it was healthy material, great. Keep it around and compost it. But if there's any sign of disease, don't. Get rid of it. Yeah. yeah. And just mm-hmm. speaking of cucumbers, can I just go back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember we were just talking about Ellen last week? Yes. She called about, she had Japanese beetles on her roses, but then she was wondering about this yellow beetle black spots oval well that is called the spotted cucumber beetle and it does uh, come in both stripes and spots which is kind of cool actually uh, I love that when you can so the, the, I'm showing you these pictures of cucumber wilt yeah. wilt comes from cucumber beetles typically and <clears throat> they're not a good insect to have around so we do everything in our power as soon as we see any evidence it's usually July you'll start seeing problems on the cucumbers little right. holes mm-hmm. just look really really hard for any insects like striped or spotted yellow um, beetles and if you see them, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, pick them and squish them. All right? So they see they come in spots and stripes. It's the exact same bug. Now, the caller, Ellen, I believe it was. Yep. It was yes. Did a pretty good job of describing mm-hmm. this little devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, oval as opposed to being round. Right. So it, was, it wasn't round like a ladybug. No. But it was spotted like a ladybug. Yeah. Actually, quite quite a pretty little bug. Mm-hmm. It really is. Uh, I yellow love with black dots on it. Oh, and yeah, but the, the look at the striped one. It's like, yeah. it's like they're so cute. Stripes and spots. Mm-hmm. Yellow insect. One stripes, one spots. Exact same bug. Just came out with different coloration. It's cute. There eh? you are. I know they're like they're like designer bugs. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So yeah, yep. watch for them and squish them. <clears throat> okay, that the uh, that's the answer that's to the answer Ellen's that question. Watch and, and squish. Jim's okay. question. Yeah, uh, Ruth in Flesherton. Well, another first time. Ah, caller. welcome to the show. Hello, Ruth. Hello. Good yes. morning. Welcome. Good morning. Um, I was wondering the amaryllis that I have mm-hmm. have. Looks like either mealybugs or mold on the bulbs. Oh, the bulbs. Is anything I do with that? Well, are the bulbs in soil or are they just sitting out on a shelf? No, they're in dirt. They're in soil, and are they growing right now or are they dormant? Some of them are growing. Okay, how many amaryllis do you have? About seven. Oh yeah. So some have green leaves, some are dormant, and are they yeah. all inside your house or outside? Inside. So they're inside, uh, and looks like mealybug or mold. Yeah. The mealybug is can be an issue for tropical plants, but mealybug would have come from another plant. Have you got other plants in your house at all? Yes, but they don't have any of it on them at all. Okay, so it probably isn't mealybug because it won't just suddenly, you know, kind of come from nowhere. It would have come from somewhere. Um, I would be inclined to, number one, always, if you see that one plant looks infested or unhealthy, right right away I would separate. So you've got, you know, a quarantine area for the plants that you're worried about. You're not sure what's going on, whether it's a disease or an insect. And then um, once you've isolated the ones that aren't looking well, I'd look a little more closely. If it's mealybug, uh, it is 
number one, you will see them getting bigger and bigger. They're bright, bright, white and fuzzy. And if you, it looks like a little spot of cotton ball. And if you pick it up, it's kind of a waxy secretion that this insect puts on its back. So they're very hard to kill. There's no insecticide that can get through that waxy coating. So if you do have mealybug, then I would uh, just get rid of those bulbs. I wouldn't even try and keep them alive because it'd be way too hard to kill the insects. If it's mildew, then that would be as a result of too much water, uh, too much humidity. So think about air circulation, think about sunshine, you know, separation between the plants. Uh, If it's mildew on the surface of the soil, you can scrape that out uh, and freshen up with some fresh soil. We're getting to that point in the next couple of weeks where we probably want to start watering the amaryllis that that are dormant. Um, and some people just don't let them go dormant. They just keep them alive as a tropical plant. So either way, I mean, uh, some fertilizer is not a bad idea. You could consider transplanting if if you're worried that there's, you know, the soil is just old and tired and not a lot of goodness in that soil any longer. That would be a consideration as well. All righty. Thank you. Okay, Ruth, thanks you're for joining welcome. us here on the show. And uh, next time around, it'll be a second time caller, correct? <laughs> hey, we, it seems to be the morning for saying hi to Ruth's. Here's another uh, Ruth, this time in Whitby. Good morning and welcome to the show. Hi, Ruth. Hi, how are you? We're well, thank you. Good morning. Oh, good. Um, okay, I have, I, I think, I don't know if this is going to be one question. I have two plants, mm-hmm. one large uh, plant. Um, I don't know the name of it. I was given to it as a gift in February, and it's been doing really well. It's got elongated heart-shaped leaves. Mm-hmm. I know what it is. Yep. And I can't tell you what it is. It's... But it, it, uh, at the top of it, it had two flowers, two white leaves with a stamen like in the middle, so that would be the flowers. Mm-hmm. And it was doing really well, and now this week... Uh, some of the, a few of the leaves along the edges are getting dry. Okay. And the other plant I have is, um, is, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we work, let's deal with let's one. Let's do this one. This yeah. is the one I'm most yeah. concerned All about. All right. So you know what I think that is? The common name of that plant is peace lily. That's it. Yeah. And it gets the white flowers and dark green leaves and it's yes. a lovely plant. There, I'm just showing Frank oh, yeah. a picture mm-hmm. of it. Yeah, uh, it it's a very nice plant. Um, yes, indeed. The tips of peace lilies will often get that brown crispiness, and slowly but surely that brown crispiness moves from the tip and the edges right up and eventually kills the entire leaf. Not the end of the world. Remember that it's very normal and natural for plants, for the older leaves on any plant to finish up Mm -hmm. and move on and fresh stuff comes out. So keep an eye and remove those leaves as they get more and more yellow. We typically think that that is started uh, from tap water. So if you can avoid watering your peace lily with tap water, just because of the fluorides and the bromides and the various and sundry chlorines and things that are in the tap water, if you can avoid using tap water on this plant and instead use uh, distilled water or rainwater or something that doesn't have any additives in it, you'll okay, find that you'll avoid... we have a dehumidifier, avoid. and right. my husband takes the water from that, and that's what we're using. Oh, perfect. So that's exactly what you should be doing. Have you fertilized at all? You've had this plant since February. Yes. I've, uh, I've got those uh, sticks that you put into the soil, mm-hmm. and I just put one in about oh, maybe a week or so ago. Okay, so that was the first time. No, that was the second time. So the first time was what, back in March? Probably. How big is the pot, 
roughly? Uh, sugar. <laughs> I don't well, you said it's large. How big is the plant? How tall does it stand? Let me. I knew you were going to say that, <laughs> and I didn't measure it. Well, no, the reason I ask is because those little spikes, uh, fertilizer spikes, it's like a slow-release little spike. You mm-hmm. stick yes. it in the soil and just under the surface, and as you're watering, the fertilizer uh, dissolves and is made available to the plant. Yeah. The number of spikes you put in the pot is dependent on the size of the pot. Okay. So when you say the plant, one... The, the plant itself, I'm put, using my arm as a measuring thing, it's from my fingertips up just above my elbow. That's how tall the plant is. Oh, oh, pretty good okay. size. Yeah, so it is a good size. And is it? I'm wondering, maybe it's time to give it a bigger pot. Is that possible or is it in a reasonable size pot? Because so, if a plant uh, stands that tall, it should be at least eight-inch pot. It's... Uh, it's a ceramic. It's like a vo- it's a uh, ceramic. It's like one of those gift planter plants. Yeah. So it's in a it's in a planter with no drainage. Um. Let me think. No. No. That. Oh, that's the pot on the outside. Right. In, it's sitting inside a pot. Plastic. Uh, inside. Yeah. Um, Good. Fiber. Good. You know, whatever it is. Okay. So that's fine. In the in the pot. But you, you know what? Pull. I would pull the plant pot and all out of the ceramic planter uh-huh. and take a look at the drainage holes that are in the bottom of the plastic pot. Uh-huh. If you see roots growing out of those holes right. or any evidence of roots, it's time to give it a bigger pot. Okay. That's going to be your, your clue that it's in too small a pot, needs to be potted up to a larger size, which will make the plant just so much happier. Uh, and uh, you'll, again, avoid some of those uh, brown tips. Okay. All Very right. Good. Okay. All right. Thank you. Can I add? Can no. I add? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ruth, I'm sorry. Call you can again. call back in. You can call back even today. Oh, it's so hard to get through to you. Uh, well. Violet leaves are drooping. Yeah. I didn't know if that was related to the <laughs> <laughs> And smooth, eh? But anyway. Okay. Thanks, Ruth. Give us a call back. You'll, yeah. you'll get through. You'll, you'll, get you'll through. see. All righty. Thank you very much. And I'm sorry. We have to kind of avoid, uh, um, enforce that uh, one call only. Well, you know or one why. question only. We get folks, a, yeah. We'd have one call in an hour. Yeah, exactly. Because you know so what gardeners might. do? When gardeners get going, oh, yeah. they well, just keep going. Exactly. <laughs> you well, know, you've heard me, right? Uh, oh, have I? <laughs> I yeah, was I waiting for you to say something. <laughs> Shelly in St. Catharines, welcome to the Garden Show here on Zoomer Radio. Yes, thank you. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, I have a front lawn that's been cooked. Mm-hmm. No grubs. Mm, you sure? Uh, yes. Okay. The, the entire thing, uh, all I have is Creeping Charlie, Dandelions, and Crabgrass. Yuck. That's my green in my front lawn. Hmm. It's a very small front lawn, mm-hmm. so it's not a big, big area to cover. Like how big? Like 10 by 10, 20 by 20? Uh, no, it's long and skinny. Okay. So um, uh, I would say it's probably about maybe 50, 50 feet long and maybe about 10 feet wide. Mm. Still pretty big. So I'm thinking for next year of forget grass and putting because of because of the size of it and the mm-hmm. shape of it, mm-hmm. uh, putting something else on top of it. Mm-hmm. But I found this year that with the mulch I got ants unbelievably. Oh. Mm. And carpenter ants. Oh gosh, you don't want just that. the little guys, the big guys. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm afraid of mulch mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering, is there anything that you can suggest that could take the heat either as a ground cover or a stone or or, or is there something else that I could put down? And yeah, be- a- this, this 
front lawn gets no shade? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, you know what? Two things come to mind. One is creeping thyme. So thyme, like T-H-Y-M-E. Right. That makes a lovely ground cover in a hot, sunny, very droughty sort of situation. Okay. It is a It is a plant that withstands drought. It's very low. And you can walk on it. When it's blooming, it's gorgeous. It's just a carpet of pink. Uh, and I have seen it used in many situations. One of my most favorite spots I saw it was on... Um, the mountain in Montreal, Montreal. Oh, yes. uh, there's a, an old cemetery up there, and it's all planted in thyme, and it is so beautiful when it's when it's blooming. So that is a, that is one I would consider. Now, you, it's a fairly big space. It would cost you some money. You got to get the weeds out. Uh, you would plant the plants rather than the seeds, but either way, you could potentially plant seeds and get them growing. It's going to take a number of years to fill in. You'll have to stay right on top of keeping the weeds out as the time fills in. Right. The other one that comes to mind is something as simple as clover. So some people think clover is just a horrible plant and you just don't want to have it, but the nice thing about clover is that it, again, is very tolerant of drought. It has a very deep tap root, so it sends that root way down, and when we don't get rain and we don't, you know, we have water restrictions, clover stays green. And it's fragrant, too, is it not? Well, it gets you exactly. Yeah. The white flowers, which are very uh, positive uh, flowers, both thyme and clover particularly, as being pollinator-friendly. So you are supporting the bees, you're supporting all kinds of beneficial insects when you have these flowering ground covers. Um, and yeah, clover is a, is a lovely one. You can mow it or you can just leave it alone. I've seen full lawns of just clover. They'll go to about uh, two feet high, uncut, uh, yeah. just billows of, of flowers and green. And then at the, just the end of the season, you would cut it all down in the fall and let it grow back up the next spring. Super oh. simple, no fertilizer, no water, nothing. And you can get clover seeds, white clover seeds, at any good garden center. Well, oh, oh, okay, because that was my concern. Like, where was I going to yep. find it? Because yep. I, I love clover. Yep. And, I, I mean, I we've had a little bit in the, in, in the lawn at yeah. one time. Yep. No, just go for a clover lawn. And, you know, even I've, they sell clover at Canadian Tire. It's available everywhere these days. And when would you plant that? In the can, spring or in the fall? Either one. The main thing is you've got to get those weeds out first. And I would, with that amount of weeds, I'd try and do it this fall, and but get the weeds out. Well, we're supposed to get some rain tomorrow, I think it is. There so, you go. You've got uh, your day I'll, cut out for you. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'll be doing. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> Good luck with Thanks. that. Let us know how that works out, Shelley. I will. Oh, and I, one more thing to tell you. I, I called you earlier because I had a, a 45-year-old ro- climbing rose that got oh, mixed yeah. with the with the uh, frost mm-hmm. in the spring, mm-hmm. and I thought I had another rose coming up off the root. Right. It was not a rose. It <laughs> was a um, It was a tree. We have a tree around here. It's not uh, a linden tree. Um, it's another type of tree. It has white flowers, and they're quite fragrant. C- yeah, catalpa maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Was... Oh, not catalpa. <clears throat> Um, it grows quite high. Yeah. Okay, and, so but that's uh, what was growing up at the I rose. I'll find the name of it. Okay. But anyway, it was because it had thorns. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad, glad you got that out. Okay, Shelley, we've got to run along here, okay? That's Thank a you very much. Yeah. Locust. We're we're bumping Robinia. up against we're bumping up against the time limit here because we've got folks to hear from. We do. Yeah, and we'll be back after we hear from those folks. Thanks, with Shelley. With some great advice. Uh, and thank yeah, thank you for coming here to the Garden Show on Zuma Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, Forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweetwilliams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. 
This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And Frank Proctor, the sous chef of The Garden, welcoming Carol from Oshawa. Hiya, Carol. Good morning, Frank. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning. I, your show is my gardening Bible. Aw, thanks. I hope I'm not duplicating a, a former a caller, but I have this, this very annoying beetle that is just decimating my roses. Uh, an iridescent coppery color, mm-hmm. um, little white dots around the perimeter of the um, the end of the shell. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I don't know. It, it would be maybe a half the size of your small fingernail, it, I suppose. Um, it, I've been picking them off, uh, putting them into a dish of soap and oil and, mm-hmm. and water. Mm-hmm. I pick off two to three every single day, and they they can reduce the... Um, the leaves just in a day to just mm. mere skeletons. Uh, I know. And, and they're, my poor hairy wheatcroft is the only rose that in my garden that's being bothered hmm. by it. I, I have about four roses. And uh, I'm just wondering, is there anything uh, other than just picking them off? Is there insecticide or something I can do to annihilate this little beast? Okay, so the little beast, if you want to look it up on the web or get more information, is called a Japanese beetle. Okay. And Japanese beetles are famous for loving roses. Mm-hmm. And there's some great images I was just showing oh, man. Frank. <laughs> Charlie just brought some up on the monitor. They are ugly little devils, I'm yeah, telling well, you. Well, actually, they're quite pretty as an insect, but they sure do a lot of damage. Because like, they, they are coppery, iridescent. Um, you know, you can mm-hmm. imagine wearing it as a brooch or something like that, earrings. So, you know, we should probably get into that business with these silly <laughs> beetles. They move so slowly, they're very easy to pick off. They are. And as you said, just drop them into a can of water with a drop of oil or soap in the water, and they die very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and interesting, you notice that they're hurting or attacking one rose more than others. That's and right. that is true. They are more attracted to some roses than others. So if you're looking for a rose that Japanese beetles don't like, there is a whole series of roses called the knockout roses. K-N-O-C-K, knockout. Uh, They come in different colors, pink and red and yellow, and they're singles and doubles. And they are famous for not being edible to the Japanese beetles. And they're great roses. If you've got bright, sunny, well-drained soil, um, they will happily just be a flowering shrub all summer. I asked uh, Charlie, as a matter of fact, how long the Japanese beetle has been in Canada. Mm -hmm. I thought your answer was kind of interesting. Yeah, well, they did come in through Montreal, as far as I know, and um, would have come in and packed material from Asia mm-hmm. and have been slowly working their way across Canada. So they've only, it's they arrived in, in the 40s into Canada. They've just been slowly increasing their population and, as I said, moving west. So we've only had them in Ontario for about the last 10 years in central Ontario. And um, yeah, they, they're a horrible pest and some years are worse than others. And picking and squishing is all you can do. There is no insecticide. There are traps for attracting Japanese mm-hmm. beetles, but you do not want to put those traps in your yard because instead of having two a day you'll have 200 a day and that's the last thing you want Mm -hmm. but some people are fortunate and they live uh, in a situation where they've got um, uh, a schoolyard behind them or a public park or a parking lot and you put that trap out there in the summer attract all the Japanese beetles out there where there's nothing happening and you'll have fewer in your yard but definitely don't be setting up a trap in your own garden. You'll regret that. Okay, Carol. Thank you very much for calling in. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, I got a pretty good-looking day out there. Let's welcome to the show, to make it even better, Mm -hmm. Sylvia in Elmville. Hiya. 
Good morning. Hi, Sylvia. Hello. Yeah, Hello. there you are. Okay. Oh, hi. Sorry. <laughs> I, was, I was listening to... Uh, um, anyways, um, I'm calling about my hydrangea plant. Mm-hmm. Bush. i got to put you off speakerphone here. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Well, um, uh, yeah. Yes, my uh, hydrangea plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, when's a good time to cut the... Can I cut it right... This is the first time year it's bloomed. Okay. And are, so is it blooming now? Uh, no, it's just finished. I should have cut them. I was thinking of cutting them off. And, and that's the round flowers, right? Yes, it is. All right. I thought it was a snowball first because it looked the same kind of to me, but yeah. I was told it's hydrangea. Well, that's true. I mean, there's two plants that bloom with round flowers. Earlier in the spring is the snow, what we call a snowball bush, and that is a viburnum. And they're smaller, but they are round white flowers. Later in the season, we get the hydrangea blooming, so more like June and July. Okay. And, yeah. uh, and that is... A Typical, what we call a mop head hydrangea. Okay. So when do you trim them? Personally, I leave the flowers on the plant. Oh. Unless I'm planning to dry some of them and incorporate them into some uh, flower arrangement or, you know, some decor. I just leave them on the plant. They hang there. Uh, They're quite pretty all winter. They turn a bronzy color. And then I do all my trimming in the spring. Oh, because I was, oh, okay, so, and just cut them right down then. Yep, the cut spring. them right down to about two inches, the whole shrub down to about two oh, inches okay, tall. Okay, okay, because I was told if you cut them right down, mm-hmm. uh, they the next year they grow, things grow you know, more stems and things yep. like that. Well, that's right. And that's why you will do that trimming in the spring. Oh, in the spring. I, I mean, you could do it now. There's no rule saying that you shouldn't do it. I mean, that you can't do it now. Right. I just, like I said, I appreciate the ornamental value of leaving the plant alone oh, okay. uh, in the garden. It provides a little bit of like of interest in the yeah. garden all winter. And then you're right, right down ground level, pretty much ground level in the spring. Okay, because I did that with my uh, clematis, mm-hmm. and they came out beautifully. You exactly. Know, so, okay. and, and again, I, I do all my pruning of my clematis in the spring as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, great. Thanks, Thanks very much. for the call. You bet. Thank you very much for calling in here on Zoomer Radio. We're going to wander off to talk to Wanda <laughs> in Scarborough. Good morning, Wanda. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you, Charlie and Frank. Our pleasure. I have two happy results from... Uh, questions I had earlier. Okay. One was my little uh, miniature rose that had nine blooms on it, and then the next morning I came out, and the leaves were like lattice work. Mm. And you told me it was sunburn. Mm-hmm. Leaves fell off, mm-hmm. blooms all came, mm-hmm. and now I have green leaves again and more blooms. Oh, good. Oh, good. 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 So I'm happy about that. Nice. <clears throat> Lantana plant that last fall got a touch of um, frost, Mm. But I babied it all winter, and I have it outside blooming beautifully. Yeah. Now, when do I take it in again? Well, I mean, it it is a, a pretty tough plant, but you're right. Once we start getting into the, you know, anything below 5 degrees Celsius, any of the tender plants really start to, to suffer. So if your intention is to keep the lantana over the winter and, of course, bring it indoors to do so, what I would probably do even starting now is move it from the bright, sunny location you have it in now into a shadier corner or a shadier spot in your garden. And for the next two weeks, just keep it outside, but keep it in, a, a, in less sun. And that's preparing it to go into your home where 
frankly, there is less sun. Mm-hmm. So, because it is very shocking for plants to go from the bright, bright outdoor sun and then into our homes, even if it's right in a window, it's a lot less light intensity than when they're outdoors. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so just start the process of moving it into less light, two weeks in that shady spot. Then it's a soap and water bath, wash, oh. cleanse, just because you don't want to bring in any, uh, you know, sow bugs or earwigs or any of the little critters. And oh. then into a nice sunny window ledge or, or sunny spot in your home. Uh, well, actually, it's a North Bay window. Okay. So that's your sunniest spot. So that's yeah. why it's even more important that you start the process of, of getting the plant to uh, recognize that there is life with less light. <laughs> Do you fertilize it? No, uh, no, no, because remember, the, as the days shorten, the plants know that, and the plants are slowing down. So the last thing you want to do is start f- trying to force them to grow when they're naturally slowing down. And do they require much water? No, lantana's pretty tolerant of drought. You water thoroughly when dry, but let it dry down between waterings. Okay, Wanda. Oh, thank, thank you very much. much. And I do use the Sierra Cell just like oh. you uh, advertised. Well, that's great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Our Good pleasure. Stuff. Thanks for calling. We have time for a quick question here, Mary in Brampton, uh, just about out of racetrack here. Good morning and welcome to the show. One of our regular listeners, I know. Hi. Yeah, good morning, Cook. Amaryllis. Yes. When do I bring it indoor? When can I change the soil? It's 10 years old. It blooms like crazy. And it's, it's uh, growing now with green leaves? In the same pot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, please. Yeah. Big, long straps. It's been yeah. in the same pot for about eight years. Mm. You're going to be able to get it out of that pot? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm determined. Because you know what? If Once you take it out of that pot, it's probably pure bulb inside that pot. Oh, if the it's, bulb is huge. Yeah. So how big is the pot? Do you know, roughly? It's, it's uh, maybe a six-inch. Okay. At the, at the most. All right. So don't go huge. Like if it's six, go to an eight. If it's eight, go to a ten inch I know, pot. I like to be pot bound. That's right. And so fresh potting soil. And you know what? When do you do it? There's really no best time to do it. I do it now while you can do it outdoors. You know, lay the whole thing on its side. Just, you yeah. know, break. Well, Sometimes you have to break the pot to get that yeah, kind of a... It's been indoors for seven years or more. Oh, wow. oh yeah, nice. Yeah, so it is inside. So mm-hmm. take it outside because you're going to make a big mess doing this. Just I make sure you've got a clean pot and fresh potting soil ready to go. And okay. same level, right? Don't be burying those bulbs down no, deep. Yeah, I mean, it's, I... I the thing about the thing is, it's gorgeous, but it's white, and it's not my favorite color. Oh, too bad. But yeah. it but sounds it's healthy. Real, it's spectacular. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. <And> real. <laughs> uh, thanks for calling. Thanks, Mary. Have and a good day. Bye-bye. You bet. Have a great weekend as well. <clears throat> well, my friend, here we are uh, mm. with about half a minute before we have to say bye-bye and welcome in Where Dave's Corner Garage. Where did the time go? Yeah. Where did it go? Oh, my goodness. So um, thank you, everybody. That was great. Good calls from all Wonderful. over the province and the yeah. internationally, frankly. Yeah. Frankly, Frank. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, and you, my friend? I'll be back at one thirty for mm. Live in the City for a couple of hours. Be telling you what's going on in town and play lots of great music for you here on Zoomer Radio. And you do requests? Uh, I wish I could. No. Uh, yeah, no. I, I just thought I'd ask. So anyway, we'll have, a, have a good show. <laughs> thank and, you. And uh, thank you very much again, Sebastian, for helping Frank last Monday and for being so good. And thanks to all our great callers. See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. 
Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.